You're listening to the Terminal City FC Podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network. Talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Terminal City FC podcast, Vancouver's soccer podcast, up and coming soccer podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network. I'm Joshua Reyes, per usual, is joined by Nathan Dirk. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm still getting used to the whole thing that BC has two weeks for spring break for kids. So if you hear, uh, hear some screaming or bouncing in the background, that's just my daughter. Yeah, actually, it's been a thing for a few years now. So, uh, yeah, where I grew up, we never had that. It was one week, and that was it. Yeah, for one, when I was in elementary school, it was one week. But I think once around I got to high school, they changed it to two weeks. Oh man! So like seven, eight years ago, I don't, I don't exactly remember when they changed it. But like it's two weeks. Plan all these things for like just to like have her do something so she's not going stir crazy. It's it's uh it's a job. <laughs> oh it. I'm sure it is. And the Whitecaps had a job to do in LAFC, but it was another loss. And Vancouver is still winless on the season and are pretty much at the bottom of the Western Conference. Yeah, it's been a pretty tough beginning to the season. We're already five games in. We're sitting on, what, a solitary point, I believe? Yep, just a point. It's, and I mean, there's moments... Uh, talking with Thomas Sassel, uh after the after the match last weekend, where he said, you know, there's stretches that they're very very proud of, but it's a matter of trying to figure out how to make those stretches into 90 minutes. So they're not there yet. Now, I mean, I mean, full fairness in the Whitecaps, they have not been able to play the starting eleven that they've wanted to at all this season. Right? They have injuries that basically they've carried right into uh, the season. White's only had half an hour. Kyle Alexander hasn't played a minute, and I don't even know if he's going to play until this summer. Uh, Gall hasn't played last game, right? I mean, it, it's it's been kind of tough. We're missing some top top guys. Yeah, and we got to mention Ryan Gall did not play against LAFC, and it's a really good explanation of why the attack wasn't as dynamic. But well, the they had a good thing, start, though. That's they the thing. Did have a good start. Yeah, that and Tristan Blackman scores his first Whitecaps goal in his return. To LA, but after that, they just look flat. Yeah, and you know what? It wasn't for lack of chances. I mean, there were a few chances here and there, some decent crosses coming in, but there were all there was also missed opportunities. I think one that you and I talked about was the one where at the home had a wide open pass to Cavallini, and instead of taking the pass, he tried to get around the defender to take a shot, but the shot was directly at the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper didn't even have to move. It's just little moments like that with that extra little bit of thought that, you know, can change the momentum of the game. Yeah. And I'm not sure why he didn't pass it to Cavalina, who was wide open. And I'm not sure if you saw like right after he had his hands out saying, like, oh, why didn't you pass? And it was a perfect opportunity. And if Dahomey did pass it to Cavalini and Cavalini did get another goal, maybe we, we would have been talking about something different. But well, yeah. Shortly after that, LAFC just turned it on. They were really, there was some poor defending and some, especially on the 
the corner kicks like that. Ryan Hollings had two goals against the Whitecaps, and I believe he's a left back. I know. I don't think he's ever had uh, more than a single goal in his entire career. And even then, like normally when he has a goal, they're they're you know spread out. There's only like a few and far between in an entire season. Uh, he definitely, definitely picked up. No, I think the second goal, he got lucky. And the ball just fall, fell beautifully to his feet off kind of a ping pong display off a corner kick. And he was able to put it in, uh, you know, a, a kind of a helpless Hassal who didn't even see the ball. He had so many uh, so many bodies in front of him. I want to go back to Dahomey a little bit. because I mean, I think I don't want to think like or say that I'm being too hard on him. I hope I'm not because he's been kind of like the Swiss Army knife of uh, the Whitecaps this season. He's been slotting in any position that Sartini puts him in. And this is this was his first game back at the top of the pitch. In about two or three, he's been slotting usually back at wing back lately. But with Gold missing, it's pushed him forward. It changed the nature of the wing backs. It changed, like, missing Gold, you see the domino effects of how it affects so many other spaces in that on the pitch and in the lineup. Yeah, and he, he's been played both sides, Christian Dahomey. And without Gold, as I said, the attack doesn't look as dynamic. Dahomey doesn't have that same spark with Gold at his side. And same with not having Brian White at his side too. But you know, I know when they brought in Pedro Vite, they, there was the when they initially brought him in, there was the talk that he was almost going to be like, not not quite a backup to Gold, but someone that they hope that could become a creative guy in that midfield as well. He kind of reminds me right now a little bit of a Kakuta Mane. He's yeah. got the speed, right? He's got the speed, but it's almost like his feet are moving too fast for the rest of him right now because he's not necessarily dynamic on the ball yet, right? I mean, I'm right. hoping that you know that soccer intelligence kind of comes along, you know, with experience and getting games underneath your belt but it's not quite there yet. So when you try to slot Vite in a position similar to goal, it's, yeah, it, that's a tough ask of a young guy. Right. And Vite looked good. He, he did. played some he nice did. speed and he made a, displayed a nice backheel pass in the second half. Fortunately, there was nothing much to come from it. You know what? There was, there were sparks. I think uh, Sebastian uh, Bearhalter had an okay game. I, yeah. I, I kind of, I think he was a little bit at fault for the first goal. Um, clearances were like he, the clearances just went above instead of down the pitch. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, there was yeah, one he clearance some... where he tried to clear the ball. And he ended up kicking the ball into his own face. Yeah, but he did make some good tackles and good, some good passes. But, yeah. and he has looked decent to start yeah. his white catch career. But the one thing with this game is you take a look at, any position on the pitch and there were changes. There was only actually four changes of personnel, but in how those personnel are used, those, I mean, there's, there's movement all over the pitch. I mean, the, the midfield was pretty much entirely new, except for Tybert. You had Nerwinski on the back end instead of Youngworth. You had a completely changed uh, top three. And, you know, instead of going with two tens and a nine, you went with two nines and a 10. So it was, I mean, I know they work on different tactical visions during uh, during the week, but there was so much new and changed and different that hadn't actually been, you know, like field tested yet. So it's it, it was a tough match. It was a, against a tough LAFC who's undergone a lot of changes themselves. And uh, I mean, it was one I was hoping to scrape a point out of, but 
yeah, it was, it kind of fell apart after, after uh, Hollings had kind of seemed to, you know, take that game by the, by the reins. Yeah. It, it fell apart. Like once after the missed opportunity by Dahomey and speaking of the midfield, not to be too harsh, but there, there isn't a lot. Actually, there isn't, there wasn't really anything coming from Russell Tiber. And the only time he was noticeable was when he got a yellow card. I hate to say it. I've been a fan of Tybert's. Same here. But I, I agree with you. He, he, he was almost invisible. And yeah. Um, like, yeah. He's not. You know what? And he, he could be one of those captains that leads by example. And that's just kind of a behind the scenes thing that we don't see. But you want your captain to be marshalling the field. And I didn't see that. Yeah. I don't see any like initiative to kick the ball up the pitch. Like he can get the ball, but. He usually doesn't take it down the pitch, even though he has the ability to make that pass. We saw it last year. We saw yeah. it last year. I mean, his his progressive passing was noticeably different and noticeably improved under Sartini for the you know from like August when he took over to the end of the season. But yeah, I I mean, and I'm I'm not going to single him out. He's not the only guy that has struggled this season. But no. yeah, he definitely he's noticeable for not being noticeable, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, Javane Brown has also had a tough time on the on the wings. Yeah, you know, he Brown, is a right back. He's a right back. He's a traditional right back. He's a defensive guy. And playing him as a left wing back, uh, I I I I'm still unconvinced of this whole inverted wing back situation. Uh, especially, be- and, and it's not necessarily that it can't work. It's just that I don't think the Whitecaps have the right players to make it work. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they have the personnel to make it work. But when it works, it works. When, when it, it works, doesn't it work, it, it doesn't look great. You know, I, I've been quietly impressed with Gutierrez when he plays like that. Gudinho had moments where it he seemed did. to kind of work out it uh, wasn't quite there yet no again good you know I, you know i think this is what either his first or his second start of the entire season so you know he's still uh, fighting for minutes himself uh dahomey who has played that position for the last few games i mean sartini said it himself he's uh, the best guy on uh, on the white caps when it's one v one duels right and uh, right. on the wing backs you know he he actually was doing quite nice but once you get past Gutierrez, once you get past the home, I don't know who there is to take that position. Yeah. That's... And the two guys that were on the pitch, I, I don't, they're, they're good players, but they're being played out of position. In my mind. Like Javane Brown, again, is a traditional right back. And against LAFC, he was playing a left wing back. Yeah. It's a tough task for the guy. It's a very tough task. It's a tough task for a guy that, has years of experience. Like this is the, you know, the sophomore season of Jermaine Brown and, you know, he, he's going on the pitch and he's doing whatever job is being asked of him. But uh, yeah, it's, this is a difficult job for someone even 10 years under their belt. That's true. And a positive is that Lucas Cavallini has been, been good this season. He has. He's only he, scored uh, one goal. But Man, his frustration was shown in that game, though. I mean, yeah. the lack of service, he keeps dropping back so far into the midfield to win balls. 
The problem is, is no one is filling the space that he vacates. Exactly. So when he wins the ball, there's no one to put it to, right? Usually God would be the one dropping back, but yeah, he's not around. Exactly. And he's doing a lot of the work. Like he's trying to get the ball to win the tackles. He's trying to use his strength to get around defenders. Like he's putting in the work to create offense. Cavallini came in with a mission this season. Like even at the beginning of the preseason, uh, people were talking about how he's come already fully fit and ready to go. You know, just at, at the initial, you know, uh, training session for, for the preseason. So he, you know, he's got a mission to stay healthy, to score goals, and to do the, the best job he can to his ability. But he's being forced to do more than what his position is supposed to dictate underneath Sartini's system. And unfortunately, it, it's, it's trying to overcompensate for other positions that might be lacking right now. And it's, it's showing cracks when you don't have the right players fit in the right, in the right positions. Yeah. You can't have Cavallini drop back and try to be a playmaker. He's, he's a number nine. Like he doesn't do it. You get one of those attacking midfielders. One of those, if you get one of those nines that moves up to fill the position, but no one's doing it. No one's doing that. And Cavallini has a lot, had a lot on his plate and he was trying to do it all. Like I can't fault him for doing that. Like that's, he did pretty good while he was trying to drop back and make plays, but he can't do it alone. Like, the funny thing is, I look at Cavallini, and to me, it looks like he's almost trying to become, like, like I, I associate to, to uh, my English team, Spurs, right? It's like, he's trying to be Harry Kane, dropping back and winning balls, but there's no Sun Kyun Min running up to get on the end of the passes, right? There's right. no partnership. The partnership is with him and Gall, you hope, but with Gall not there against LAFC, there, I mean, it was just... There was no one. I mean, the defense for LA had a, a very easy time. The only reason we got the goal is because it came off a free kick. Yeah. And Cavallini helped cause that. His header went off the post, and there was Blackman to put it in. Yeah, you got it. So the Whitecaps do not play this week since it is international break, but they're back home April 2nd against a team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year, Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, you know so what? It's, it's back tough. Home. It's tough, but it's back home. Uh, they get a little bit of time to rest. I'm hoping that with that extra two weeks, White and Gold will be back ready. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, I mean, they need those two players. And don't forget about Eric Godoy, who's pretty much missed the entire season, but also a calf injury. That's true. And you know what? Having that extra option on the back. I mean, my guess is I see a Godoy as slotting in more in more central. It'd be like either him or Veselinovic. I've actually been, I've been qu- quietly okay with Veselinovic. Yeah. He's doing quite well in clearing. You yeah. Know, very good from, at clearing like, the ball. That six, year, six yard box, but it'd be nice to have the option and nice to have a challenge in that position, right? Where people are fighting for their spot. Right. Right. And from what Sartini has told us, it it is the plan to have both Gold and White fit for supporting Kansas City. And it looks like that's the goal for Eric Godoy as well. And if all three are fit, then they have a better chance of at least snagging a point against supporting Kansas City. Yeah, it only leaves Kyle uh, that's still injured, but his is a long-term thing. I mean, Because there's, there's he had no... surgery and all that. Yeah. There's, there's no outlook for when he will be back up. He's not even on the pitch. So 
Um, I mean, that is, I think when we look at creativity kind of in the more central area of the park, he's a guy that would be really missed, you know, uh, especially with uh, Bikel going off uh, to Italy. Yeah. But yeah. Like the midfield I mean, needs a guy like, like Bikel. It's almost there, you know? Yeah. It's almost there. So another Whitecaps news, former Whitecap, Patrick Metcalf signs with a Norwegian club called Stabæk. Yeah, Stabæk. Back? I don't know how to pronounce this. Yeah, yeah, Stabæk. I mean, the Norwegian league has just finished their, or uh, they were. I think they kind of run the same calendar as uh, MLS, right? Where they play in the calendar year, and they were just relegated uh, last season, actually finishing fifteenth uh, out of uh, sixteen teams in the the elite Syrian, uh, the the top league of uh, of Norway. So they're going to be playing in what's known as the first division, uh, which is actually the second tier of Norwegian football. But you know yeah. what? I mean, good on uh, Patrick Metcalf. It's a, it's a professional club. It's, it's actually uh, a pretty respected Norwegian club. Like this is a club that is expected to be one of those teams that's always playing in the top league. So the fact that they've gotten relegated is – you know, it's got to really hurt, but he gets to be part of the side that, you know, now has something to prove and something to fight for. Yeah. Wasn't getting the minutes with the white caps. So he'll probably get some minutes in Norway for he's a Canadian international from Richmond. We should also remember uh, when it comes to Norwegian football, I mean, that's where Sam Atacube got his, uh, his really, really good, you know, his grounding footing after the white caps as well. Right. Right, and now look at him. He's doing pretty well with the Canadian national team. Absolutely. So Mac- Metcalf is a ri- from, from Richmond. It's not quite Troy Stetcher Richmond, of Richmond fame, but uh, good to see the Richmond boy off in Europe, and hopefully he'll impress with some minutes there in Norway. Absolutely. And the Whitecaps, draw, since they draw Valor FC in the preliminary round of the Canadian Championship, that takes place on May 11th at 7 p.m. Get your tickets while you can. We'll hopefully be there. And you might say, oh, it's the Canadian Championship. Nobody cares about it. And guess what? The Whitecaps lost to Pacific last year, and that was that the game that Mark DeSantos got the boot from. Yeah, you know what? The Whitecaps, I mean, this is a competition we've won before, but it hasn't been in a number of years. And ever since the Canadian Premier League has existed, which has now been – they're, they're now going into their fourth year. They've been around for three. The Whitecaps have been absolutely dismal in this tournament. We lost out to, I think it was Cavalry FC. Yep, Cavalry. In, yep, in it was out PC place too. Yeah. In the, in the, the, not last year, but the year before, we didn't even yeah. qualify because they had a modified COVID tournament so that we didn't even make in. Last year against Pacific, it's so bad that this year, we're the only MLS team in the preliminary round. All the other, the other ones get a buy, right? I mean, right. like we're playing in the same round as Guelph United, right? Like it's just, it's kind of strange that we've kind of fallen down. I mean, if you think of the pots that exist for the Canadian Championship, but this is a tournament that we can win. It's a tournament that we should be competitive in. And if you remember, the winner of this tournament, you get the Voyager's Cup, so you get silverware, right? Right. On top of that, this is the only way for a Canadian team to get into the CONCACAF Champions League, right? That's correct. 
And we can't get in. If, if the Whitecaps were to win the MLS Cup, we don't get to use the, uh, the American pathway into the, into the Champions League. That doesn't work for us. It wouldn't go to the team who are whoever lost against us. So, you know, this is, this is our only path in. If we want to be able to compete at the top level, not only in MLS, but in, in the continent, this is it. So, I mean, we got to show up. And to show you just how much it, it means, you're absolutely right. Marcos, or Mark DeSantos got fired. He got fired after the Pacific FC game. And that was after, you know, it, it looked like he was starting to turn it around in MLS. So, you know, one game and you're done. And it can mean a lot, especially when you look at, uh, or I guess now the very, very short record of uh, Axel Schuster and uh, his willingness to fire a manager over over this tournament. Yeah, like if the Whitecaps want to compete with the big dogs in the CONCACAF Champions League, this is the way to go. And these teams can't be taken lightly. Yeah, the Canadian Premier League. This team lost to Pacific and Calvary, two tournaments in a row. So it's an important competition here, and Valor cannot be taken lightly. Yeah, Valor uh, last year, the CPL finished fifth out of the eight teams. So they just missed the uh, the playoffs, the, the top four go to the playoff for the, the CPL and then fight for uh, for their uh, top of the league that way. But uh, you know what? They're coming back. They're getting, they're getting ready to start their season here as well. So come middle of May, I mean, these are going to be two sides that are already going to have a few games under their belt. It should be a good one to be a C place. Yeah, it's... Should be a good one. And hopefully we're there covering a win and not another embarrassing defeat because losing to a team in any cup competition, no matter how big you are in the league below you always hurts. Oh yeah. Always. No matter how big your club is. So the Whitecaps FC two start their inaugural campaign on Saturday, actually tomorrow against Dynamo Doss. Yeah, so this is the that in uh, kind of this brand new league that was created, uh, like a development league, MLS Next Pro. So it's a mixture of a lot of second teams of MLS sides, as well as a couple of brand new uh, clubs, uh, you know, especially in American cities that don't necessarily have a club as of right now. I think there's about 20 odd teams, just over 20 that are in the league, and they're split up into uh, divisions depending on geography. So, yeah, we are going to be heading down to uh, Houston to play uh, Dynamo Dose. Uh, I know uh, Nick Dasovich, who's the head coach of Whitecaps 2, he's taken along a couple of the, uh, the, the guys from the, the first squad. He's taken uh, – oh, who's he taking? He's taken our backup goalkeeper. Let me just a see. Bomber. Bomer, thank you. And he's also taken uh, Mateo Campagna, who hasn't had a start yet, but is, uh, uh, I think he's on a supplementary contract uh, with uh, the first team. So they're going to drop down. They'll get some game time. It'll be nice uh, to, to see what they can do. And uh, yeah, if you get a chance, check these guys out when they come back to Vancouver. They play out of Swan Guard at, in uh, Central Park. Yeah, I don't live, I actually live not too far from Swan Guard, and I might catch a game or two this year. It'd be good to see what and what they're doing. See how the academy players, John yeah. Herdman's uh, son, plays for them. So we check it out. Yeah. So the Whitecaps have John Herdman's son and Greg Berhalter's son. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, right. Yeah. Just check it out. Like, see how this, the the developing 
mid squad is doing. Sort of like sort of like the Abbotsford Canucks in a way. Very much so. Yeah, and I'm sure tickets will be cheap. Like it's not like it'll cost a lot, and it's it's worth watching. I saw a few Whitecaps FC the original the old Whitecaps FC two games when they played at UBC Thunderbird Stadium. No oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's that's way back in the day. Yeah, Alfonso Davies came through the program. Yeah, he did. And maybe the Whitecaps of a couple of gems in their development squad. Who knows? Like, take Simon Betcher, their first-round pick last year. He's a goal scorer. And let's see if he can do it with the development squad. Yeah, and also with the development squad. Actually, you you mentioned uh, Betcher, but every single uh, player that was uh, picked in the Super Draft, all four of them are actually on that squad as well. Okay, that's great. So the future of the Whitecats, you can can get to see them at Swangard Stadium. So let's talk about the biggest soccer story in the country. It's the men's national team. So they played Costa Rica last night. Didn't get off to a good start. Mark Anthony K gets um, a yellow card only for a tackle. And he went to VAR and they only gave him a yellow. We didn't get so lucky with the second one. Uh, he bumped into the Costa Rican player. Yes, it looked like he dived, but the bump was really unnecessary. And it's without a doubt a second yellow. And Canada were down to 10 men. And we were down to 10 men at what was it about the 36, 37? Something minutes. like that. And then Costa Rica yeah. scores like in stoppage time off a corner kick. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I just seen kind of what people were talking about and kind of the way I looked at it. I think K got very lucky off the first yellow. I yeah, think I agree. He could have very easily been a red. I mean, his studs were up. They were right in the ankle of of the uh, Costa Rican player. I think he got lucky. I think oh, he, he – I don't know if he saw red or if it was just a momentary lapse of judgment, but challenging the player, going uh, putting his shoulder into the, the opposing player's shoulder – when the ball is on the other side of the pitch for the second yellow, I mean, yes, it was a dive. It's absolutely a dive, but you absolutely. gave them the opportunity to die. I mean, there is no reason at all for Kay to be doing that. I get you might be frustrated, but you're not part of the play. Walk away, get into position. He was walking away from the play in order to do, I don't know, whatever you want to call that. But yeah, I mean that to me that was the turning point in the game. Yes, Canada had oh, the yeah, ball they in possession. Quit. It was 67, 68% of possession. Even after that, they were just absolutely pummeling uh Keeler Navis in net and you know hitting every post and crossbar you can imagine. But that momentary lapse gave Costa Rica a boost. It gave their fans a boost, it gave them something to cheer about. And those last few minutes of the first half to get that goal was all they needed. And then the rest of the entire time is playing 11 men behind the ball. And that was it. That was the game. Yeah, that was the game. And Canada showed no quit. They were really looking for that that goal. All they needed was one. It could have ended 1-1, and we would have been talking about Canada officially qualifying for the World Cup. But nope, it's a loss, but they deserved you could say they deserve to win that game even because the way they just dominated 
Costa Rica with the possession. And uh, like Larea you know on what? the wing. Yeah, Costa Rica's goal off the corner. That was a strong header. It was a good goal. It was well-deserved off that set piece. But the second half was purely Canada. I mean, Richie Larea and his runs up uh, the right or the left side of the pitch. You know, Buchanan had a few good choice uh, moments as well. Uh, the box, I mean, how many players were just within that 18-yard box? You almost had the entire Costa Rican team playing so narrow and so compact. There's little to no movement inside the box when crosses were coming in, but Canada was still finding a way. I mean, there, there was hardly a moment where the ball seemed to touch the ground when it was being crossed high above. And it was just, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. This is one that Canada is going to feel pretty hard done by not coming out with a, a tie or even a win, uh, especially when you look at, uh, you know, hitting the crossbar, hitting the post and, just the absolute pummeling of chances. But, yeah, like the, I mean, the bar, the post. Yeah. Just the, the very... scoreline score tells you the story, or it doesn't tell you the story, but it tells you what the outcome was. And uh, we're going to have to come back on Sunday, back to uh, BMO Place in Toronto, and see what we can do against Jamaica. Yeah, and Jamaica's already been knocked out, so they don't have much to play for. And all they need is just even just a draw, a nil-nil draw will get them into the World Cup. That's it, yeah. Now, the one thing is, is if you take a look at uh, the way the, um, the World Cup does their pots, right now Canada is sitting in pot four. And we have, depending on how things move around, FIFA announced uh, a bunch of changes to how the pots are being done. Just because this is the first time that they've actually started to draw the groups before they even, even before qualifiers are even done, right? So there's right. three unknown teams uh, in Europe, in UEFA right now, that are being moved to pot four. South Korea and Nigeria get moved up to pot three as a result of this. Wales and Peru drop down to pot four. Now, Canada's part of, part of pot four as well. We have the opportunity to move to pot three, but based on the outcome of this last game, both Egypt and Tunisia have moved up ahead of Canada as being potential to move up to pot three. So the path to a slightly easier draw is a little bit more difficult. It's not, it's not, you know, completely off the car, off, uh, off the table yet, but you know, right now it's looking more and more likely like Canada, if we qualify, if and when we qualify, we'll be part of pot four for the group draw. Yeah. That's useful information. If you want to know who Canada could draw and yeah the qualifiers aren't even aren't even done though a lot of teams have pretty much qualified already including some smaller countries like iran saudi arabia uh, of course qatar is hosting serbia and it's we could pretty much put canada in there since but it's not official and seven teams are 17 teams have already qualified and there's still the playoffs in europe and a bunch of other places i know Concacaf will have their playoff round two so the draw is on april 1st and it'll be interesting to see which kind of group canada get and yep. They again, they did well last night against Costa Rica, especially with like on the wings, especially Larea and his 
his speed. The like, way he was play really was absolutely phenomenal. No, he was phenomenal. Yeah. The other one, uh, the other notable uh, standout that I've got to mention is Atiba Hutchinson. Yeah. Playing as a, as, a, as a central center back, a, guy, a position that he doesn't play. I mean, he plays in the midfield. But, I mean, he he saved a couple of uh, interesting Borean misses, uh, yeah. you know, uh, keeping, uh, keeping a man off the ball so it would go out uh, past the back line rather than in the net. Uh, he played the full 90 minutes again. I mean, this is a guy who's 39 years old, and he – he, I mean, was Borean said after the game that uh, he wants to convince uh, Atiba Hutchinson to be uh, around for, uh, you know, not this World Cup, but the next World Cup because the guy doesn't quit. Yeah. The guy, guy's an ageless wonder. Yeah. I mean, he kind of makes me feel like, what am I doing here sitting on a chair? <laughs> like, like yeah, you're, you're sitting on a chair and, like, and a couch, and it's probably hard for you to get it. But for him, he can run around for 90 minutes. And I mean, I, I mean, when we talked about captains on the Whitecaps, you can see Atiba Hutchinson and how he is a captain to this Canadian uh, men's national team, right? He right. he is one of the more visible guys in the park, not because he's you know the loudest, but because he he's just a leader by example, right? He makes the players around him better because he is there. Yeah, totally. He does it all on the pitch. He leads on the pitch. He's not a loud guy like I'm in the locker room, I don't think. But on the pitch, it's that's where he's the most loudest. Yeah, and it seems like he's the same sort of guy also for uh, his uh, domestic side in Turkey. Yeah, that's that's a great point there. And Jamaica on Sunday, and then it's Panama, I believe, Wednesday. So yep. tune in if you're in the Toronto era. I think it's sold out already. If Oh, you know it is. Yeah, BMO Field is going to be rocking. Wish that game was in Vancouver, though, but uh, whatever. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, well, the women's we teams have are... the, the two games in April for the for the, well, uh, the women's, women's national well, That's a good... Yeah, that's so a if you do want to see some soccer, we've got the women's national team coming in April. They're going to be playing uh, 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 Nigeria in BC Place and then also at uh, Pacific FC Stadium in, uh, in Langford, in just Langford. North, uh, Victoria. Yeah, just a few minutes. I don't know how long the drive is, but it's not that long from Victoria. No, it's basically a suburb, right? But it's there, right? And, you know, check it out. That's still a, an, an amazing match, right? And it's also going to be, uh, you know, a bit of a swan song for a couple of players like Stephanie Labe. Yep. So I'm pretty sure a lot of tickets, have, I don't think it's sold out, but a lot of tickets have been sold already for that. So it's a good time to be a Canadian soccer fan. And we'll head over to talk about some more international and club football stuff right after this break. Are your own podcast about football or whatever? Great. Unsure about getting started? No problem. That's what Budsprout is for. The Terminal City FC podcast uses Budsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of podcasters around the world use Budsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus your show will be out on Spotify Apple, Google, and more. You'll get ways to promote the show, analytics, stats, and more. That's not all. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and it will help support this show. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your your own podcast with Buzzsprout today. Hey, do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? 
then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Okay, welcome back. Not a lot of club football, mainly because it is the international break, but Chelsea played their last game against a team that made a couple upsets in the FA Cup, and that was Middlesbrough. A 2 nothing win over them. Tidy piece of business. Romelu Lukaku scores the first goal, and Hakim Ziyech, who's been really well, who's played really well over the last few months, got the second like he and Mount were really good at getting the ball down the field and creating all these sort of sorts of chances and they it was it was a good job done didn't watch much of the game but Mount Ziek and and they were just really good at creating the ball and that's creating plays with the ball and this is pretty much the hack game Ziyech that Chelsea have won the one that they signed from Ajax, the guy with his deadly left foot who can score goals, who can make excellent passes and crosses. We didn't see a lot of that last year, and he struggled, man. And there were some injuries, and it was another slow start this year. But over the past few weeks and a couple months, Ziyech has been a wizard. And that was his nickname in Ajax, the wizard. And he's one of those players that when he's really good, he's really good. And when he's really bad, he's really bad. There's no in-between. Funny how that works. But Ziyech has been incredible. Too bad Morocco didn't take him to AFCON. And he retired from the Moroccan national team. I can't blame him. I would be pretty maybe salty over it. I would be too. How old is he? He's only 28. Yeah, that's early to retire from the national side. But yeah, if you're... I mean, I get why he's salty, but he's still got a few years left. Yeah. He's only 28 and still in the prime of his career on a five-year contract with Chelsea. And he's showing why he's called the wizard. Like, look at him cross the ball. Look at him make some plays. And for Lukaku, it was great, good to see him score. I wish he would score in the Premier League, though. He's only been scoring in like the FA Cup and the Club World Cup and the League Cup. We need that in the Premier League. I don't care if it's just a tap. We need that. And Lukaku and Ziyech, I mean, they were seen at the Brooklyn Nets game a couple of days ago, courtside. Hope get some rest for both of them. And maybe Lukaku comes back. I mean, I said this a lot. Maybe he, his form comes back after the international break. He wasn't called up for Belgium because they want some players who don't really play in in the national team for Belgium and some younger players in for those friendlies or whatever. And it's good to give him some rest. And yeah, it was a good win for Chelsea. And 
a was it wasn't going to be easy because it's this is a team that knocked out Tottenham and Manchester United. And interesting that Tuchel went with the four three three because he's been usually playing with three at the back. The players adapted well to it, and I know it's Middlesbrough, but they did they did well. And I mean, Middlesbrough has been having a decent season, so no, that's true, but. Thing I, the thing I like about Tuchel, he's always willing to change things up and he always tries to make it work. And the players buy into that and they bought into the changes against Middlesbrough. So yeah, maybe true. the 4 3 3 comes back after the international break or he goes back to the three of the back. We'll see. So, of course, the biggest story is the new owners. And there's been some developments over the past week. And it looks like it's going. There's a shortlist going to be coming out. So Nick Candy and the Saudi group are out. Those are those were two big names. I thought they'd be the favored ones. And I guess Candy probably wasn't the right choice because his football knowledge isn't the best. Apparently, I heard I heard him say that or that Lampard was fired too soon. Really. Yeah, okay. should have stayed till the end of the season. And he's, oh, he's, he's one of those guys. I mean, he loves his team, but is he the best fit to be, you know, the, on the business side of the team, right? Right. And the Saudi side, I'm not sure what happened, but the they backed out, and the Ricketts family looks like to be on the short list. Uh, now we've seen all the. No to Ricketts hashtags from Chelsea Twitter. I already talked about how shady they are and their comments on Muslims. Like this, this would be a, again, would be the wrong choice for Chelsea. And the Cubs, like, oh, they, you could say, oh, the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. They were a good team. Yeah, but before that, they were a dysfunctional organization, but it all changed when they hired Theo Epstein. Very smart mind. Yeah. I mean, for the, for the Ricketts family, it's also a difference between it's not the father being a part of it. when that's where a lot of these uh, really, really uh, kind of like uh, Islamophobic and other comments come from. It's the son or the, is it the sons? I can't remember. Yeah, it's the son. Yeah. And they're, they're really trying to distance saying that the father is not going to be a part of this, but the problem is, is he is, he's a part of, it's a family business. It's a family business. You can't separate a family business. And another, I think this is the, I, the bid that Chelsea fans want a guy named Todd Bowley, who is part owner of the LA Dodgers. He's um, teamed up with this guy named Wiss who is a Swiss billionaire. Swedish, Swiss, Swiss, thank you. Yeah, Swiss, not Swedish. And Boley apparently is a Chelsea fan. And he said in an interview a while back that when it comes to owning a team, you got to think of the fans. And knowing how the Dodgers have been, like they've won the World Series and look like they could win it again this year because they are absolutely stacked. If he shows that ambition with the Dodgers and he puts that with Chelsea, then they're in good hands. Like, I know he's American, and I know I've said I don't want Americans, but this guy I'm willing to 
give a chance on because he seems like he has a plan for the club and wants to embrace the the club almost the way Abramovich did. Would he be an owner that's similar to, oh, I'm trying to remember what the guy's name, the guy that owns the Atlanta Falcons, who also owns, is it what, Fulham or something like that? I think so, or he could I be mean, like... he seems to genuinely care for the club and genuinely invest in it. Now, Fulham is not Chelsea. Let's not confuse the two. Yeah. Chelsea is going to take a much bigger investment, and there's a lot more work when you look at the external stuff, like the stadium and all that stuff that needs to be done. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Bully... He's he's used to the pressure of the environment. Let's put it that way. Right. And he's really, he is. And LA is a mad baseball town. And even when they, when they choke in the playoffs, the, the media and the fan coverage, it's, it's brutal. And it's brutal, but it's also, it's not the British media. Yeah. What it was Chelsea, right? That's going to be a whole other beast. Yeah, if Chelsea falter in the Premier League or any other competition, he's going to have to face the music. And it seems like he doesn't really phase him. And maybe he could be like the FSG group that owns Liverpool and the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, there's that too. You're right. So there's also this guy named Josh Harris, who also is a guy named David Blitzer. They all they own the Philadelphia 76ers and have a 40% stake in Crystal Palace. I think he is also going to be on the shortlist. Like, there's no official confirmation on the shortlist, but from the names that are still in, it looks like that this Harris guy could be in as well. I don't know if uh I don't know much about him other than the fact that they, he owns 76ers. Also another oh. American. And there's talks about on Chelsea Twitter. The Nota Ricketts hashtag is still, it's still going. And there's also like plans of another protest outside Stanford Bridge. Interesting. Which is interesting. We all know what happened last time there was a protest outside Stanford Bridge. And Chelsea fans have a powerful voice. Maybe they can convince the Rain Group that the Ricketts family should not be anywhere near Chelsea Football Club. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, when you've got that much money involved, I, I hate to say it, but I do wonder genuinely how much control fans have. Like, I know they're really, really fighting for it. They're fighting for positions on the board, they're fighting for almost like a, almost like a, a shadow governing group comprised of fans. But when we're talking about, you know, the billions of pounds, it's, it, it does make me wonder how much say fans have. Yeah. Like the fans are already part of like, there's like an official supporters group that help that play into decisions that was formed after the collapse of the super league last year. And let's see where this goes. And I'm just, Bully is prop is the best option out of the names that still remain. And if the Ricketts family ends up being the new owners for Chelsea, oh, there will be a lot of animosity from the Chelsea fans. 
Well, it's going to be loud in Stamford Bridge and not in the way Chelsea wants, that's for sure. Yeah, and outside the bridge and from their fans all over the world, including from me. And that's let's hope that doesn't happen. Fair enough. For Tottenham, a 3-1 win against West Ham. Yeah, you know what? This was a really good win. It was a very important win because uh, going into this match, uh, West Ham was tied with uh, Man United on points, and both of them were just a couple ahead of Tottenham. So uh, Tottenham wins the game 3-1, and it was it was a decisive match. It was a strong match. It was a match that Tottenham never looked like they were going to be losing. And it's, again, it's another one of those matches that is showing uh, Kulishevsky fits so well into uh, how uh, Spurs play. Him coming over from uh, Juventus, not really getting the, the notice in Juventus that he should. And it makes me wonder, what did they not see that Conte sees? Because Conte wanted Kulishevsky back when he was still uh, back in Milan. So yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is he's slotted in so well. He's now got five or six games under his belt. He's got almost as much goals and assists as he has games. So his contribution has been phenomenal. And he is, he has moved up the, uh, the, the pecking order ahead of players like Lucas Mora. So he and how he plays with uh, son and Kane, they've become the most deadly trio in the premier league right now over the past uh, kind of, I guess we're looking a couple of months. Uh, again, so Sun uh, had a brace. He really should have had a hat trick, but the, the first goal actually was an own goal From Kurt uh, by, by everyone's uh, favorite, uh, you know, cats. Cat, uh, I guess it's karma for, for the... Exactly, right? For that. But yeah, and Kane uh, had a couple of assists uh, showing uh, exactly what he can do. Uh, the only thing, I guess, I mean, other than this just being... Uh, a Tottenham game through and through. I mean, they, from beginning to end, they never looked like they were going to lose. Um, was unfortunately in the 54th minute, there were four pitch invaders. Oh, not, yeah. not just, yeah, there was four. four. And again, this has to do with the, uh, going back to the pitch invader that happened la- the week before at the Everton game, who ended up zip tying his neck to the goalpost. To the goalpost. Yeah, all and four it was of carried off invaders, like, he, like he died. Yeah, all four of these pitch invaders tried to do the same thing. It was two on, on the Tottenham end, two on the uh, the West Ham end. Now, unfortunately, all four were grabbed by stewards before they even made it to the pitch, right? I think one made it uh, over over the ad boards, and that was it. But all four were taken away, and it was it was done. But it does make me wonder if this kind of this stop oil movement, which seems to be behind this, is going to start trying to do this at almost every game that they can. And especially if they're going to do numbers where, you know, you got four posts and you got four bodies trying to get in there. It's going to make uh, interesting work going into the end of the season. But going back to uh, back to football is, uh, yeah, they win. It moves Tottenham. They leapfrog both West Ham and Man United, now sit fifth in, uh, in, the, in the Premier League and only three points behind Arsenal. Arsenal does have a game in hand, but and Arsenal has been playing quite well. They, their record is very similar to Tottenham in terms of starting to find consistency in wins in the Premier League. But, you know, I think Arsenal has a bit of a harder run to the end of the season. I, I think they do. I, I think they do, yeah. And I think that fourth spot 
it's going to be a tough. Yes, it's still between Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United. Uh, I think West Ham. West Ham, you got to. They're still they've in the hunt. Six, they've got six points to make up. I don't think they can do it. So yeah. you got three, three sides fighting for that last Champions League spot. I think Tottenham is still in the running. I think they're finding their form at the right time. If they can stay healthy, if they can keep doing what they're doing, if they don't go Spursy, like you know, like everyone we've seen time and time again. Oh my gosh! I mean, it, it's like uh, it's 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 one of those. Uh, it's it's your, the relationship that hurts you time and time again. But you know what? They they keep getting me. They keep drawing me back in. And right now, I'm back in, and I'm I'm looking positive at this team. Yeah, it's a it's a North London battle for the top four spot, which makes it even more entertaining. And the thing is, is the the Tottenham Arsenal game that was postponed uh, back at sometime last year still hasn't been added on the books, and it sounds like it might be added to be the last game of the season. Oh, that is going to be so, must watch. Yeah, that could be really really fun, especially as a neutral. And the thing is, is I mean, depending on how the points go, that could be the battle. That that battle could go to the very last day for that last Champions League spot. Yes, that Tottenham really good win against West Ham, and I believe they have Newcastle next. We got yeah, Newcastle next, so I mean, that's a game. I mean, feasibly they they should win. They but, should. But, you know, Newcastle. You know, they've they've got a bit of a boost with uh, everything going on. In their side, and Newcastle has actually won their last three in a row. So yeah, they're know, better they're than moving most up. people think. Yeah, they're they're sitting in 14th right now in the table, and um, I mean from where they are, basically every from Austin Villa in ninth all the way down to say Leeds in 16th, there is so much potential movement. All those teams are just just packed on t- on top of one another in terms of points. So, I mean, Newcastle's going to come out fighting. It's not going to be an easy match. So, uh, but I like Tottenham's chances. I like what they're doing. I like the fact that bodies are healthy. I have a lot of, a lot of positivity right now. On another note, uh, it should be noted, uh, Tottenham favorites and... Uh, Tottenham legend know, in I, some way? Yeah. Toronto uh, FC, know, legend. Toronto FC, former Toronto FC player. It's a bloody big deal, right? Uh, Jermaine Defoe. Defoe has announced his retirement. Uh, currently, or I guess right now, he had been playing for Sunderland in League One, trying to uh, help them in their promotion push back up to the championship. But uh, he's been fighting for game time, and it's been a little bit tough. So, yeah, the 39-year-old has announced his retirement. Um, yeah, after Tottenham, you know, he had spells like we talked about in Toronto. He'd come back and played for uh, for... Uh, Steven Gerrard's Rangers back in uh, in Scotland and done really, really well with them. And, yeah, most recently with Sunderland. But um, you know what? 39 years old is, uh, is a lot of years for any player and especially for a striker. So I uh, I think we just need to wish Jermaine Defoe the best. It sounds like Tottenham has uh, given him a complete uh, open pass to rejoin the squad uh, or to rejoin the, the Tottenham staff because uh, he has expressed interest in getting his coaching badges. And Tottenham has said, you are welcome to do your coaching badges with us. So we'll, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, we see him around. I mean, he could be like Ledley King, you know, who's come back and uh, done really well as a coach with Tottenham lately. So it'd be nice to see 
some of those familiar faces back uh, back on the staff side of things. Yeah, I can see him as a development coach or an assistant coach. Former, also former England international, played in the 2010 and 2014 World Cup and the Euro 2012. Yeah, I mean he's uh he's been around for England. He's been around uh, numerous been around for, for a while. He's, he's a guy that I think a lot of people will have fond memories of. You know, I mean, again, playing for Spurs in some of the uh, the, the uh, empty periods, I guess when you want to say when it comes to the trophy cabinets. But I mean, I remember him. I have fond memories of him, and uh, I I would welcome him back uh, as a coach. Uh, immediately. Oh yeah. Yeah. For, and he's one of those guys yeah. that I think he could coach in, a, in many different ways, not only as like say performance or attacking, but also as a developmental coach, right? Like I could see him working with say, uh, you know, you know, further back in helping, uh, helping the Academy, right. Which a lot of for, uh, Tottenham uh, players uh, have been known to do, uh, you know, Tim Sherwood, that's where he started off as a coach with uh, the Academy uh, in Tottenham, uh, the guy that's there right now, Ryan. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Wasn't but that he, guy uh, the interim last year? Yeah, he was the interim manager last year, uh, but he had been uh, with the uh, Ryan Mason. Yeah, Ryan Mason. Yeah, he unfortunately his career came uh, to a very quick end after a head-on collision with uh, Gary Cahill, and uh, he was just never oh. able to recover with uh, the uh, the brain and the head injury that he had. But he slot himself in and become a, a very important uh, coach within Tottenham's ranks. So I see Defoe as, you know, being a part of that, being a part of that legacy uh, with with the club. I don't think his time is done yet, I, and I think he has a lot to contribute. Yep. All the best to Jermaine Defoe going forward after a pretty good career. Pretty good career. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But definitely, I would say a Tottenham legend. Financial fair play in UEFA is about could be replaced. Apparently, new system allows for only 70% of income to be spent. Failure could result in points deduction, relegation, and removal from the Champions League. Yeah, this is something that UEFA has been talking about at their last uh, uh, kind of uh, meeting with uh, league representatives and also UEFA presidency. Now, UEFA presidency actually favored a more kind of American-style salary cap. Oh, geez. I don't know how that worked. Well, the thing is, is because their whole thing is they want to stop the the kind of the income and uh, the money disparity that's happening between teams within leagues, where you've got teams that just, you know, throw whatever money they can because they have big pockets versus other teams that have to be kind of more fiscally prudent. Right. Right. But I mean, I think this is this seems like a watered down version of financial fair play. And I hate to say it, but I think it's because financial fair play didn't work. I mean, when you look at, you know, Man's City is able to get away with what they did. You look at uh, teams like, you know, even PSG, which is just spending way more money than they actually have. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be, this new system is going to work. The one thing I am interested in is in the failure provisions and how it could have uh, teams either removed from the Champions League or force teams to be relegated from their domestic top leagues. I don't think that was included underneath financial fair play. And that is, if these penalties are going to be as severe as they say, I mean, first of all, you're going to have some crazy challenges at the 
at the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, but at least it doesn't feel as toothless. Yeah, it doesn't feel as toothless. And teams have found a way around financial fair play. And there's like take Man City, for example, who've been spending lots and lots of money on players. And same with PSG. So um, this is this is interesting. Good. Yeah, I mean, financial fair play to me, it, it's one of those things that sounded like a good idea. I don't think I think it was ineffectual. I'm hoping yeah, that this new system is at least something. I don't think it is as strong as it could be, but I'm hoping it's something, and I hoping I'm hoping that it is actually enforced. Yeah, and their teams don't find loopholes around it and all that. Well, that's exactly it, right? So, so we have the El Clasico <laughs> between Barcelona and Real Madrid, and Barcelona finally won for the first time in like six meetups with these two teams. It was a big win, four nothing over La Liga leading Real Madrid. Goal: Brayson Pierre, Emmerich Aubameyang, Ronald Ronald Araujo, and Ferran Torres. So two, so three goals from recent signings from Barcelona. Yeah. And we call it a Xavi masterclass. He's done, you know what? I think he's done well with the resources that he has right now. We know we know about Barcelona's financial position, but Aubameyang has found new life with them uh, after leaving Arsenal. Yeah, and it's a little too early to say, oh, Barcelona are back and all that because they still have a lot of work to do to make the club great again. I but, think they have a lot of work to do, but I feel like the El Clasico is back. I mean, that was an exciting match, and it, it completely turned uh, expectations on their head. Yeah, and it's a big win for Barcelona. It's beating the league leaders in that fashion. And it was it, it was it was a fun game to watch, despite the didn't see all of it, despite the scoreline, but. Could could El Clasico be back, and could the future could La Liga be back to what it once was? There's some promising players like Vinicius Junior, Ferran Torres, Ansu Fati, and all that. Maybe this is the start of the next generation of El Clasico, next the next generation of stars in La Liga. Yeah, I think uh, as far as La Liga, whether or not La Liga is going to find us putting uh, kind of back as, you know, the top league of, of the world, I think you need to have more teams that are competing at the tops, at the top level. You can't just have it be a two or a three-way, three-way race with Atletico Madrid. But I think you're starting to see other teams uh, kind of get in there, right? Like Yeah, know, like Villarreal. Valencia uh, has always been Valencia, in Sevilla. Yeah, uh, you know, even teams that usually don't make a lot of noise, like Real Batiste, is trying at least, right? I mean, they're they're making noise. So you know, um, Italy or the the Spanish league is not one that I usually follow too closely. But Need. that, I mean, the 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 El Clasico, that game, I mean, that one was definitely always fun to watch, and it uh, it was surprising, and it was surprising in a way that I didn't. Yeah, it was it was nice to watch. Yeah, for sure. And turning back to England, Everton, Frank Lampard questioned the courage. So going back to England. Is yeah. for the squad. And Everton. Is that the right call? Yeah. Is it? I mean, I kind of get it. Everton lost their lead. They lost their last game. Uh, yeah, I they got pummeled. It, but 
Like, man, doesn't this feel like your coach is just kicking players while they're down? I mean, question players, yell at players, you know, do that in the dressing room on the training pitch. But going to the media and doing this, I don't see, I don't see what the upside of this is. Yeah, like you can do it in private. Don't publicly yeah. call out the players. Like Lampard has done this before. I remember Chelsea lost against Arsenal on Boxing Day, and he said, "We're not good enough to win the league." Then after that, I I think that really hurt the dressing room. Well, and for me, it galvanizes players, but it galvanizes players against the manager. Yeah, and I think right. that's what. There was reports of relationships strained between Lampard and some of the players yeah. after he got fired from Chelsea. And this could strain relationships he is just starting to build at Everton. I think that Lampard didn't realize the job that is required at Everton when he took the job. I think he looked at the name Everton. Oh, this is, you know, this is a team that is, this is a proper Premier League team. But the thing is, is they've got, they've got problems in that team going beyond when Benitez was there. I mean, I mean, this is a team that has fallen behind for the past five or six years. And right now, I got to say it, like I, I said it last week when we talked, I think, I think Everton is going down. Yeah, they're only three points above the relegation zone and lost four out of their last five. And actually, that's four straight. Yeah, they've lost four straight. Now, again, the teams below them, they have had absolutely dismal records as well. So, I mean, if everyone keeps losing, Everton is safe. But if Watford, Burnley, if they figure things out, you know, it's – I don't think Everton is safe yet. Norwich City is going down. Norwich City is – Yeah, I don't think they're safe. I think Burnley all. is going down as well. But Watford – I don't know. Watford could be the dark horse to stay, stay up. up. Yeah. Yeah, and Lampard's – like I get, he's a, he's a player that wants to motivate and get the best out of his player. Like do that, make those kind of comments in the locker room or at tra- on the training ground. But to the meet to the public in the media, that's that goes gives the impression of oh man, the manager really doesn't trust us. He's just calling us out like that. Why should we trust yeah. him? I mean, I get the frustration that exists, but I I don't see the upside of this. I don't see this as trying to find the solution. It's just exacerbating the. Yeah, that's. I get he was trying to motivate the squad, but that's not the right way to do it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that this is gonna bite Lampard in the ass, and I don't think Everton is gonna be better off for it. So, yeah, I don't think it's the right call. Yeah, he, this, this really bit him in the ass at, Ch- at Chelsea, and I know even if they do go down, they'll probably stick with him. But uh, they, he still has a lot to learn when it comes to. To managing and Everton's problems go way beyond him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about uh, the Euros. So 2028 Euros, the uh, the deadline for submissions had just passed on Wednesday. UK and Ireland, they had a, a bid and it looked like they were the only ones. No one else was bidding. But Russia has actually submitted. Uh, believe it or not, Russia is actually trying to fight for the 2028 or the 2032 Euro competition. Now, UEFA had actually warned Russia because right now Russia's banned. Russia's banned yep, by Russia's banned. banned by UEFA, and they actually even threatened Russia or the Russian national team with further sanctions, up to and including potential expulsion from UEFA. 
they bid anyway. They bid anyway. So, I, I mean, I don't oh, know yeah. what this is. Is this like, just, it's like uh, Russian athletes in any competition that they're still allowed in wearing the Z uh, that you see on Russian tanks? Is it just, is this Russia just saying, do what you will, we don't care? Like, like it's, are it's they like they're continuing to spit in the face of anyone who wants to put their face in front of Russia. Yeah, and are they say, oh, this is just this is years down in the future. We'll be different then, but still, right? Yeah, but we said like that banned. when they kept having all their drug problems and WADA banned them from what now it's what two or three Olympics. Yeah, like, they're they're the changed. ROC now. Yeah, and the thing is, is they have more athletes competing as ROC than they did as Russia, so nothing's changed. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what this is. Like, why, why are they even allowed to bid? Well, I don't even know. Like, who in their right mind thought that this was a good idea? Like, you know, first of all, you know it's not going to be accepted, and you know it's just going to piss people off. So, to me, I think this is just people in Russia genuinely wanting to piss people off because they like the reaction. Probably is, and some big. Also, some big international news. Italy, the European champions, has failed to qualify for the World Cup for the second straight time as they lost one nothing to North Macedonia in the playoff round on a goal in injury time. I I don't know what to say. I, I mean, this say is either. this is the first uh, reigning Euro champion to not qualify for the upcoming World Cup since Greece, Greece. in the early two thousands. Yep, they won the 2004 Euros. Like it was a miracle run against Portugal, yeah. and then they didn't qualify for the 2006 World Cup. I guess that time is understandable because it's Greece, but this is Italy we're talking about. I know. I don't know what it is. And the thing is, is uh, Roberto Mancini is a great manager. He's done really good things. I think he. I think people were surprised when Italy did as well as they did in the Euros, and I think that is credit to Mancini. But is that just papering, papering over cracks in the Italian side that we weren't seeing before? Is it uh, something to do with an aging squad or just issues uh, with that? Because I know when they didn't qualify last time uh, for, uh, for the World Cup, everyone just said, oh, it's because their squad is too old. They had the oldest squad that was competing. But surely they figured something out in those four years. Yeah, four years is a long time. They do have some younger players like Donnarumma, Chiesa, Jorginho. I mean, he's not really young, but still. But they still have Benucci and Chiellini on the back line. They're both very good at the Euros, but they're not getting any younger. No, but I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, And now, so my big question is, is what does Mancini do? Is he fired? Does, does he, he resign? Down? Like, I haven't heard anything, so. There were some missed opportunities in the qualifying round. Like Jorginho missed two penalties. One of them he skied over the bar. I guess that came back to bite them. But I guess it was the Euro hangover that really fell into play. Like they didn't look right on the. I didn't watch most of the games, but from what I've seen, they just didn't look like the same team from the Euros. No. Although the one thing I uh, I was kind of chuckling about was uh, Vanny Sartini uh, with the Whitecaps oh, yeah. on his Twitter that uh, at least he still has, has his other uh, national side and he had his uh, Sartini shirt with uh, with Canada. So, you know, he still so has, at least he has a backup plan. Yeah, he does, right? Well, so much for the businesses on Commercial Drive, which is known as Little Italy here in Vancouver. They made, they're made a lot of 
they get a lot of noise when Italy is in an international tournament. And it looks like commercial drive will be quiet for a second straight World Cup. Yeah. Oh, well, there's uh, Canada to cheer for. I mean, Italy is one of those teams you expect to be there, but I mean, two two years in a row. Uh, I think I think they need to look at what Italy does in terms of like the developmental plan. The same thing that Germany did in the 2000s when they ha- had a shock exit in I think it was a group stage, and yeah. they completely redid the entire German uh, the way soccer was is run in Germany right from the youth level. Right. And they completely redid it. And Germany has become, you know, what they are today. Right. Which is one of the top sides in the world. Italy. I think Italy's got to go through the same thing. They've got they've got a they've got a decade of rebuilding right now. And it goes right down to the youth levels. And they haven't been out of the group stage in a World Cup since they won it in 2006. Yeah, that's why I say like this is not an easy fix. It's going to take a long time and they have to start. They have to start with like the five and six year olds and like and how they approach uh, football in that country not only to develop the skills at that level but to make it funny or not uh, sorry make it funny make it fun and make it something that people want to be a part of but not a part of in terms of like the you know like if we want to go back to uh, frank lampard and the yelling at players right we want it to be something that people grow with them and right now italy is having trouble with that especially if they're having to deal with such old players and not bringing in youth you know as they should, you know, where it becomes a mixture of experience and youth. Yeah, this is a disaster for the Italian. The 32 shot, shots on goal, apparently, against the North Macedonians, and not a single one went in. Like, this is, a, this is some type of FIFA voodoo. Well, the funny thing is, is the guy that scored for Macedonia, I don't have his name in front of me right now, unfortunately, but the, this game between North Macedonia and Italy was in Palermo. And the yeah. guy that scored had previously played for Palermo. And apparently there's actually a, a recording of all of, or like of a lot of his goals and all of them are from the same spot. Same thing over and over and over again. So it's like, it's not like they didn't know this was a possibility. Yeah. This is a double um, kick in the, kick in the nuts for Italy. They got a, they got a really, it's going to take time to rebuild the national team. Like add some more youth into the team like you got to find the right players to call up and it's not going to be easy it's just it's stunning that like this team won like have won the world cup like four times and the euros twice i believe like this is supposed to be a powerhouse but they're not going to be in qatar in november no and uh you know it uh, definitely it opens up for uh some uh, some more interesting teams that maybe have only been there once or twice. So yeah, I uh, I mean Italy not there. I mean I'm neither here nor there about it. I think it just makes for a much more interesting uh, World Cup. Yeah, it's it's not the same without without Italy. And we won't hear Fratelli d'Italia, the national anthem of Italy, belted out by the squad. That's always been one of my favorite parts of international tournaments too bad we won't hear that for another yeah i mean there is a nostalgia that's attached to certain certain countries that have the expectation of being there but yeah. you know this is one area where i am willing to see old traditions go away and see something new so i'm i'm, I'm excited to see what who gets to fill that spot yeah so mama mia i guess <laughs> so let keep the french Magazine, I think. Yeah. 
published their top Premier League earner list, and all five are from Manchester. Yeah, I mean, they published their, their top list, I think, for a, for a bunch of different uh, leagues out there. But uh, I thought the Premier League was really interesting because you have Cristiano Ronaldo at the top. You have uh, De Bruyne, you know, from uh, the noisy neighbors across the way. You got De Gea, Sancho, Varane. I mean, all of these guys are making top, top, top money. But you're right. They're all from Manchester. From and Ronaldo Manchester. tops the list at 26.4 million pounds. Yeah, I mean... Oh, well, that's not really surprised because he's Ronaldo. Yeah. The one I was surprised is I was surprised to see Jaden Sancho so high up. I know. Uh, with how young he is. Only like 21, and he's yep. making 18 million pounds. Yeah, and fourth on that list. And De Gea, I mean, he's been one of Manchester's bright... United's brightest spots. De Bruyne is not a surprise because... He's arguably the best player in the Premier League. Yeah. Then there's Raphael Varane, too. Which I was like, okay. Okay. Like, he hasn't been that good. But it's kind of surprising to see him up on there. Yeah, he was not. I I guess I would have expected uh, some other ones. But the one thing that's interesting is people are saying, now seeing this list, what does it do with Liverpool and contract negotiations with uh, Mohamed Salah? Yeah. Right? He is going to want to ask to be a part of that list. For sure. And he's going to want so much money. And negotiations are going to be tense between the two sides. I I think that changes the nature of uh, potential negotiations. It does seem like they were. I mean, it didn't really seem like both sides were talking really to begin with. But I think... I don't think they've been talking at all. Another, yeah, this kind of makes it a bit more difficult in my mind. Yeah, and right, where, where do we find this full list? Like, I don't know. Uh, I have to see if uh, you can find it on uh, the keep. Uh, I was only able to find the top five in the list. I don't know uh, how far down they go. Like, if they have literally the contract information for every player, but uh, yeah, that's what was there. And they they have uh, like top fives for for other leagues out as well. Yeah, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I can only find the the top five in here like wow it's all from the match us chester teams which i guess i couldn't be shouldn't be surprised because both united and city spend a whole ton a lot of money yeah, ah, here, i hear found some more uh paul pogba it also is on there yeah he's on there but i mean like it's oh uh... well, yeah a lot of, wow a lot of um, United players are on there as well. Uh, wow! Like you know, just looking here, like United players make a lot of money. United, well, I mean, United has traditionally had a lot of money available just because of their commercial interests around the world. So, I mean, it's interesting to see that list when you look at the new uh, financial rules that we just talked about coming into play. It's going to be interesting to see whether. The Manchester clubs are still underneath that 70% of income uh, being paid out to players. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it's a lot of money to throw around, and it's a lot of money concentrated uh, in uh, in the northwest of England. Yeah, and I'm if I had to guess who were the top Chelsea earners, I guess it'd be Lukaku and Kepa. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's got to be Harry Kane. Uh, every day. Yeah, it's got to be Kane. Yeah. 
Uh, Kate, uh, I'd say uh, Hugo Lloris has got to be up there. Son, that would be uh, yeah. That, well, those are Michelle, uh, Conte, definitely, probably. Conte, yeah. As far as managers go, you know, he's got to be for, for managers. Yeah, Conte, um, Pep probably is the number one spot. Klopp. So number one B, I'd say, I don't know. I would say Guardiola. Yeah. And then Klopp behind him. Yeah. I guess Tuchel would be on there too. Tuchel would be on there. Uh, Yeah. I don't. So to wrap up might be a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah. Before we wrap up, Mike Dean, Premier League, longtime Premier League referee is going to retire and become a full-time video referee. Now yeah, he's notorious. Yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's kind of notorious one of those for his red cards. Yeah, he you you love to hate him almost sometimes, right? Yeah, because him too. Especially so. when uh, that that card comes against your team. But he is going to be moving into yeah, the referee box being a full-time video referee. Uh, I mean, he's getting up there. He's been a referee for a for number years. of years. And I mean, you got to remember referees have a lot of running to do as well. So I mean, He's, I think he's just looking as a way to still do the job that he probably loves, but to do it without having to exert himself as much. Oh, as yeah, won't, as won't be giving red cards from the box, but he'll be doing, doing what he loves. Yep. But, and I wonder uh, when his last game will be. And, and he should send off a player from both sides just for old time's sake. Just for old time's sake. Yeah. Just, they could have sent off. Show, like, hold that red card up high. Just hold it up high. Like it's not a Mike Dean game without a red card. Pretty much. Eh? So that'll conclude this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. A lot of footy content to discuss, and I'm sure there will be more next week, especially with the Whitecaps coming back from international break. Uh, we'll pre- we'll do a better preview for Sporting Kansas City next week. For sure, we'll be back in the conferences. Hopefully, attend training next week as the weather looks to be nicer. Finally. Finally. And we've got a hot, lot of rain. Well, it is Vancouver, but still. Yeah, you got to get So it. much. So I'm on Twitter at JoshuaRay91. Nathan is at Enduric. The podcast is at Terminal City FC. Same handles for Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating. Five stars if you appreciate it. Constructive criticism is always welcome. And we'll see. Well, you'll hear from us next week. Peace out. Take care.